Okay, come on, let's pray. Let's let's focus. Jesus, thank you so much for your presence in this church. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are always here. You're always opening up our eyes and our minds and our hearts and our spirits to something new. Even if it's the same old scripture, it's new because of you. You breathe life into this congregation and into our spiritual lives. Revive every person in this house and every person listening to this on, on, online. Revive their spirits, God, to know you, to desire you, to hear your voice and have the faith to obey and walk on water. To bring heaven on earth in their life. And their realm of influence. Amen. In Jesus' name. The Lord laid something on my heart that's very specific. And I'm going to do my best to be as accurate as possible with this. Because I believe it is going to cut and, and, and deliver. Heal and set free today. And at the end of this, we're going to receive communion. And uh, come to Jesus for an impartation of healing and wholeness. And so I really want you to lock in with me today because this could be a day of deliverance for you. How many of you, and this is not a rhetorical question, it's a sincere question. How many of you want to be free? How many of you want to be so free that you can, without any question, fulfill your destiny in God? God has an assignment for you. And we can get tripped up. We can get held down. We can get bound, even as believers. How many of you want the relationships in your life to be healthy? <laughs> How much is that worth? How many of you want your own soul to be whole? This is what we're after today. I believe this is what God would have me say today. I want to say on this Independence Day that Jesus Christ is the greatest freedom fighter you are ever going to know. In fact, that's the entire reason he came from heaven to the earth was to fight for your freedom. There are a few scriptures I'm going to give you right now, but they're all over the word of God. But this is just to support what I just said, that it's not just fluff or hype. It is biblical. Look at these scriptures. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Uh, that's Galatians 5, 1, John 8, 36. So if the son talking about Jesus sets you free, you will be free indeed. Colossians 1.13, I love this, one of my favorite passages. God has, what is it? Freed us from the power of darkness. Which means we were bound by the power of darkness, or Jesus would not have had to free us from it. And brought us into the kingdom of His dear Son. And John 8.31-32, to the Jews who had believed, Jesus said, If you hold my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will what? Set you free. So Jesus is clearly on assignment to set us free and continually to keep us free and to make us freer and freer and freer. This last verse is the one I want to capitalize on. He said, if you hold to my teachings, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So there is a contingency there that we are holding on to Jesus's teachings. That is the key to being set free. Now, there's a particular teaching I want to zero in on today that I don't think we hold on to real well. And I find as a pastor that this particular teaching that we don't hold on to real well is the cause of most 
bondage, hurt, and uh, uh, being held back in Christians' lives than any other teaching. And that is on the teaching of forgiveness. I believe that many people's lives, believers, many of us in this church, our destinies really are not at this moment or at some time along your lifeline are not being dictated by God, but rather they're being dictated by an offended heart. We're going to look at the offended heart today, the power of an offended heart and how you and I can be believers coming to church. And yet our present relationships, the depth of those relationships, the wisdom of God that is supposed to be in our lives to make quality decisions and our destiny in God, what God is leading us to do uh, is being led by an offended heart, not by the Holy Spirit. And so today we just want to break that up and when we get our hearts into a condition where we truly are being led by the spirit of God, not by a hurt, offended heart. Amen. Okay, listen, the Bible says this. It says. um, Protect your heart. With all diligence. For out of your heart flows the boundaries of your life. Now, to protect your heart doesn't mean don't let anybody in because you hurt me before. That's not a protected heart. That's a walled heart. A protected heart is when a hurt or an offense goes in, that you deal with it successfully and get it out. So that your heart stays soft and pliable, teachable, and it can follow the Holy Spirit. Amen? Let's look at Luke chapter 17. I'm going to read verse 1 through 10. Go there with me if you would. And then I'm going to do some expounding today on this. Luke chapter 17, verse 1. Then, this is Jesus talking. Then he said to his disciples, it is impossible that no offenses should come. But woe to him through whom they do come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea that he should, than that he should offend one of these little ones. And the little ones, he's not talking about children. He's talking about his followers. Take heed to yourselves if your brother sins against you. Rebuke him. We all say, yeah, I like that part. And if he repents, forgive him. Mm. Hallelujah. Amen. But not really. And if he sins against you seven times in a day, well, that's it. (laughs) No hope for that relationship. And seven times in a day, he returns and says, I repent. You shall forgive him. Now, this is why Peter says, and the apostles said to them, increase our faith. You got to be kidding me, Jesus. So the Lord said, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be pulled up by the roots and be planted in the sea and it would obey you. Isn't it interesting how when, 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 how many times do you see the disciples ask a question or the Pharisees and then Jesus gives an answer that seems completely irrelevant to the question. I mean, this is one of them. Forgive your brother seven times in a day, even if he does the same thing against you. And, and, and they say, increase our faith. And then he starts talking about seeds and planting and trees and stuff. It's like, where did he go? <laughs> and which of you having a servant plowing or tending a sheep? He's like, well, now he's talking about farming. Well, say to him who has come in from the field, come at once and sit down and eat. 
But will he not rather say to him, prepare something for my supper and gird yourself and serve me until I have eaten and drunk. And afterwards, will, uh, you will eat and drink. Does he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I think not. So likewise, you, when you have done all those things which you are commanded, say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done what was our duty to do. Now, um, there's so much to say in this passage. I'm going to move it a quick clip. We could sink down deep on many truths I'm going to share today, but I really want to do more of a comprehensive look at this. You're going to pick up something that can set you free. First of all, Jesus said, you're going to be offended. The question is not, are you going to be offended? It's when you are offended, what are you going to do with the offense? Okay, offenses attached to us, we're like magnets. And these offenses just attach to us, attach to us like forks and knives, you know, open up a drawer. We have these, these magnets on us. You go into a church, you go into a marriage, you go into any kind of relationship, you go into the workplace, you breathe and go outside your house or even in the house on the telephone. We're like a magnet and you relate to somebody and an offense is going to attach to you. Jesus said, it is impossible that offenses don't come. So the question isn't, are you going to be offended? The question is, what are you going to do with that offense? Just last week, I was at a meeting and there was somebody who used to go to our church and we ran into each other in the aisle. You know, what do you do? You know, hallelujah. Right. And you have hatred in your heart. But you smile and say, hallelujah, praise the Lord, right? And so I just went up to the person. I just looked at him because we've been learning how to speak the truth in love, right? And not avoid and pretend because the Bible says that lying, uh, hatred in your heart is like lying lips, right? You say, hi, but inside you're like, I hate you. So I just went up to the person. I said, hi, why did you leave our church? <laughs> you did too. Yeah, but I wasn't being nasty. I would like to repair the relationship. And, and uh, Kathy Hazard, who's a member in our church, me and the friend are talking just like this. And Kathy is sitting right here. And she was like, oh, dear God, I wish I wasn't sitting right here. This is very uncomfortable. I can't believe what he's doing. Well, as the, as the, the gal gave me her response, she was clearly offended. And I tried to work her through the offense. It didn't work real successfully. And I blessed her and told her a couple of churches that are great churches that she can go to. And so we were done. When we were done, I looked down at Kathy and I sat down with my wife and I said, how did I do? And she said, I just pray for you all the time. <laughs> And then she said, and then she said, what you told me in our membership class changed my life. I said, what do you mean? She said, in the membership class, you said in this church, you will be offended. And she said that you said, and I, as your pastor will offend you. And guess what? You're going to offend me. And I said, it's not if you're offended, it's when you're offended, how are you going to handle it? What are you going to do with that offense? Because it is an acid test of your spiritual maturity. It's an acid test of your character. And she said, it changed my life, every relationship of my life. Many of us are like a ship with so many barnacles on us that we can't even navigate successfully, especially through storms. And so I want to talk to you today about overcoming offense. Jesus came not to set us free from offense. He came to set us free from the power of offense and how to get through it. Now, some deny that you get offended. Just like the Jews said, we're in bondage to no man. And at the moment, they were in bondage to the Roman government. This is what they said to Jesus. We're in bondage to no man. See, pride many times will not allow you to admit that you've been offended by somebody because you don't want to feel vulnerable and weak. You don't want to say they had power over me. But not but if you're not able to be offended, it's either that you are just like Jesus or you're lying. <laughs> 
Because to not be offended means that you don't have the ability to be hurt, which means you have a piece of concrete in your chest instead of a heart. And even with that concrete in your chest, you can still be offended, but it's a defensive, it's a deflection because you don't want to feel the pain. Well, rather than less deflecting, let's just admit, yeah, of course I can be hurt. So let's deal successfully with the hurt. It's very interesting. Somebody said to me this week, they didn't used to be able to be able to get offended. I was just meeting with someone just a week, uh, a leader in this church. And the person said, then I started gaining self-worth. And I started to get offended. She said, I can't, it's kind of an enigma to me. I didn't used to get offended. Then I started getting my self-worth as I grew through my adult life. And now I can get offended where I couldn't before. And I said, well, offense, and we'll talk about the literal definition of this in a minute. Offense is somebody has treated you unfairly. Injustice has happened. Somebody has taken something from you, extracted it from you, like your reputation. Speaking badly of you or maybe physically stealing something from you or taking your position and got it unjustly and spoke slander about you. And they got the promotion you did. They took something from you. And I said, if you think you're nothing, then there's nothing to take. But if you have a healthy self image and you know that you have worth, well, it's like a bank robber going to rob a bank and the vault's empty. There's nothing to take. But if there's gold in that bank now, there has been a trespass. Something has been taken of worth. So if you think you're junk, then of course you're not going to get offended because of course you're supposed to be abused because of who you are. But if you get healed and you realize I am a creation of God, I have great worth. Now there's something for somebody to take from you. Or maybe at least if you still don't believe that, let them touch your kids. Let them let a teacher treat one of your kids unfairly in school. Well, now you're offended. That's called taking up somebody else's offense. And that's even more deadly than being offended yourself. Are you all ready to go home now? Okay. We'll get to the good part. Before we talk about what an offense is, let's look at the fruit of offense. The fruit of offense. Here are some some of the fruit. Anger, hurt, outrage, jealousy, resentment, strife, bitterness, hatred, envy, insults, attacks, broken relationships, backsliding. Spiritual life is dry and stale. Word of God is boring when it once was alive to you. Prayer is lonely, disconnected from church. I call these the de-church, not the unchurch. The unchurch are those who just don't have an interest and they haven't come to church. De-church is those who were in church, they got offended, and now they're de-churched. And our, our, our city is littered, our, our nation is littered with de-churched. And I don't know of a, uh, I don't know of a, um, of anything else. That causes people to de-church like offense. To change churches like I was offended at that church. What they did to me. What they didn't do for me at that church. And so you go to the next church and you carry that offense with you to the next church. But here's the truth. You cannot have a healthy relationship with somebody who left the last relationship offended. It's impossible because that unforgiveness and that offense and that hurt is like cancer inside that person's soul and that heart. This comes to the point of the teaching where Jesus said, when he's talking about the servant coming in and serving me, and I'm not going to thank you because you did what you were commanded to do. What he's saying is, I've commanded you to forgive. So when you forgive, I'm not going to thank you for forgiving. I'm commanding you to forgive. It's what you're supposed to do as the believing household of the Lord God Almighty. That's why he went into this teaching on the servant being an unprofitable servant. In other words, you didn't gain anything. God didn't gain anything. You didn't add anything by forgiving except to yourself and to that relationship. 
He said it's a command. It's not an invitation. It's a command. We'll get into that in a moment. Um, but look at this passage. Now, this is profound. This is about the end times, which I believe we're in. And then many will be offended. Now watch the degradation here. Watch the downward spiral. Many will be offended and will betray one another. Okay? A friend, backstabbing a friend. And will hate one another. When you have hatred in your heart, you know it's very possible you've been offended by somebody and you hate them. You slam your finger in the car door. Isn't it amazing how we will yell at an inanimate object? This dumb door! What's the door going to say? Oh, that hurts my feelings. We're yelling at doors. We yell at, at things that hurt us. You stub your tongue. Dumb, dumb rock! Right? The rock does, is not alive to communicate with you. And yet, when something hurts us, anger comes out of our hearts. And when you're angry at somebody, they probably has tr- have trespassed against you and it's caused offense in your heart. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. Now, why, why does that happen next? Because when you have offense in your heart, you cannot accurately discern the will of God. An offended heart blurs spiritual sight and you begin to perceive things more darkly than they really are. And you get, you get offended and then you hear somebody else's perception on something and all of a sudden it starts to grow and you think you have the truth on a matter... But somebody from the outside looks in on it and says, that isn't at all what's going on. But you are completely convinced that's what's going on. It's because your heart is offended and you're not seeing that person or even spiritual truth properly anymore. And you get yourself off to deceiving spirits. I can give you lots of stories, but I'm trying to just give you a comprehensive view of this today. I'm sure you'll identify with something. And because lawlessness will abound, that's trespassing. It abounds. Once you have an offended heart, hate kicks in. Then you start to believe things that aren't true. And then lawlessness abounds where people, the offense continues where you're crossing people's boundaries and the love of many will grow cold. When your heart's growing cold, it's a sign that you may be living with an offended heart. There's a proverb that says a dog who's been burned by boiling water is afraid of cold water. Many of you are afraid to enter into intimate relationships because you've been hurt by others. And do you know that some of the most hurtful relationships are the closest ones. I'll talk to you about that in a second. Medical doctors and scientists have linked unforgiveness and bitterness to such diseases as arthritis and cancer. We are fools to think that a hurt, offended, angry, resentful, bitter heart does not affect the soul and the human body. That's craziness. The worst result is when we don't repent of it, and it literally says that we end up being used by Satan as a tool to destroy the body of Christ. Look at this passage. And the Lord's servant must not quarrel. Instead, he must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Those who oppose him, he must gently instruct in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, that they will come to their senses escape the trap of the devil who has been taken captive by him to do his will. He's writing this to Christians. He's saying people with an offended heart in church, if they don't repent from it, can be taken captive by Satan to do his will. What's his will? The destruction of relationships, division and strife and pulling apart relationships. And he can destroy the body of Christ. He does this all the time. So what is an offense? Literally, the offense means, when he says it right here in the scriptures, he says, the offense is a stumbling block 
or a snare. You know, in South Africa, they use this, uh, this way to catch monkeys. This is the best way to describe it. This word offense, scandalon, literally means a trap or a snare. The way they catch monkeys is they have a cage out in the wilderness and they have a, a banana in it. But there's a small hole that's only large enough for the monkey to fit his hand in there. But when he grabs a hold of that banana and he tries to get it out, he can't get the banana out and he's stuck. And the thing is, the monkey will not, under any circumstances, let go of that banana. Once his hand's in there and he's got a hold of that banana, he's never going to let go of that banana. And they catch the monkey. You guys get the picture, right? If you and I will not let go of that offense, you're a monkey. Now, Jesus gets a little more grave with this, and he says that if you don't forgive from the heart, remember we're talking about the heart? It's the production center. Jesus said out of the mouth, the abundance of the heart speaks, right? Out of the abundance of the mouth, the heart speaks. Protect your heart with all diligence. Jesus said, if you do not forgive from your heart, you will be given over to the torturers and be put in a spiritual prison. Jesus says that it is torture to live in unforgiveness in your own heart. The word literally means to be treated unjustly. I was just thinking today, you know, Isabella was telling me she got straight A's and she's been uh, asked to be um, uh, a leader in her school. And she's just done such a great job. And and uh, we were commending her and is wonderful. And then she said, but I did get my name written down on the board one time. And I said, what happened? She goes, the girl in front of me was talking to the girl in front of her and the teacher thought it was me. And she put my name on the board. And you could just see the offense. You can see the injustice. A nine-year-old knows that it's wrong. She had this perfect record and it got marred not by her action, but by somebody's action that she got blamed for. And then she said, but that teacher got fired. You know, yeah. And she just had this glee about her. So there's a little bit of training we need to do in the Ator household still. But don't we feel that? We love movies of revenge. And we live vicariously through those movies of revenge. And you get them in the end. Well, God says vengeance is mine. You can't handle it. That's why he says it's mine. You can't handle revenge. It will consume you and destroy you. And then God says, when I do reach out my hand to punish your enemies, don't rejoice or I'll pull my hand back. Because God does not enjoy judgment. He enjoys mercy, but he will judge if he has to, but he doesn't like it when we dance. And kind of like, you know, when I go to, I'm sorry, forgive me if you don't like this, discipline one of my children. And uh, the other kids just get gleeful when it's about to happen. It's weird. They, got, they run up to the door to kind of listen and they kind of smile. It's really weird how we kind of enjoy somebody else getting, getting their punishment. It's, there's just a sense of justice that's right. And God says, you guys need to protect your heart from that. Maybe yours is more intense. Maybe infidelity. Maybe your husband or your wife, you know, cheated on you. Maybe you did not get that job. Or you lost a job because somebody destroyed your reputation. And there are some deep offenses and, and trespasses in our lives. The, the, the deepest ones, oh gosh, around our house. How many times do we hear, it's not fair. Like yesterday, we have six kids. I'm not taking all six kids to the airport to pick up my cousin, my, cousin, my niece Christine who's visiting, and my mom Margie who's visiting today. You guys stand real quick. I mean, 
I'm like, I can't take all six of you, so I'm taking you and you. And then, you know, Ava. <laughs> it was not fair. Right? I mean, we hear it's not fair a billion times in a day around our house. I mean, I feel like I'm wearing a referee's uniform around our house. It's not fair. It's not fair. They got more cereal than I did. They rode the bike longer than I did. They get to go to the airport and I didn't get to go. It's not fair. It's not fair. It's not fair. There are so many offenses going on in the Ator household. I mean, it's just injustice. But there's nothing, there's nothing deeper than being offended, being trespassed against somebody close to you. And the reason it hurts the deepest is because that relationship is the closest to your heart. And you trust more and you trust more and you're more transparent and vulnerable. That's why and that's why when uh, somebody is murdered, the police look at the spouse first. They look at the closest relationship, the, the, the domestic abuse, because when you're living together, you're the closest to one another. You're the most vulnerable. And then when you get hurt, you get the most angry and you lash out because you've been hurt so deeply. Uh, look at this scripture. A brother offended is harder to win than a strong city. And contentions are like the bars of a castle or like a wall. We build walls around our hearts because we are not going to let anybody else in to hurt me again. There's a really intense movie that was out. There's a great scene from this movie. It's, it's pretty intense. Forgive me for showing it in church. But it really captures somebody who has walls around their heart because they were offended like few movies I've seen. Watch this. Donkey? What are you doing? I would think of all people you would recognize a wall when you see one. Well, yeah. But the wall's supposed to go around my swamp, not through it. It is, around your half, see? That's your half and this is my half. Oh, your half. Hmm. Yes, my half. I helped rescue the princess. I did half the work. I get half the booty. Now hand me that big old rock, the one that looks like your head. Back off. No, you back off. This is my swamp. Our swamp. Let go, donkey. You let go. Stubborn jackass. Smelly ogre. Fine. <laughs> hey, 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 come back here. I'm not through with you yet. Well, I'm through with you. Uh-uh. You know what? You is always me, me, me. Well, guess what? Now it's my turn. So you just shut up and pay attention. You are mean to me. You insult me and you don't appreciate anything that I do. You always push me around or pushing me away. Oh, yeah? Well, if I treated you so bad, how come you came back? Because that's what friends do. They forgive each other. Oh, yeah. yeah. You're right, donkey. I forgive you. For stabbing me in the back. Oh! You're so wrapped up in layers, onion boy, you're afraid of your own feelings. Go away. See? There you are, doing it again, just like you did to Fiona. And all she ever do was like you. Maybe even love you. Love me? She said I was ugly. A hideous creature. I heard the two of you talking. She wasn't talking about you. She was talking about uh, somebody else. She wasn't talking about me? Well, then who was she talking about? Uh -uh, no way. I ain't saying anything. You don't want to listen to me, right? Right? Donkey. No. Okay, look, I'm sorry, all right? <sighs> I'm sorry. I guess I am just a big, stupid, ugly ogre. Can you forgive me? Hey, that's what friends are for, right? Right. 
Friends? Friends. Okay, listen. When you have six kids, this is the kind of illustration material you get, all right? This is, this is my whole world. I have nothing else. This is it. There are two types of offenses, real people who truly have been treated unjustly. And let me say this, you're going to offend others. You've been offended and you have offended others. You're not the only person on earth who hasn't offended somebody. We all offend people and indirectly, directly. It's just life this side of heaven. But then there's perceived offenses. Those are people who believe they have been treated unjustly. And the reality is, uh, it's, it's just the same to that person. Like uh, Shrek. He was offended, angry, walled up his heart, mean and mad at everybody. And what he thought happened really didn't even happen. But how did he learn what really happened? Because he had a friend, a donkey, that would not let him stay angry and force his way into his life, iron sharpening iron, until Shrek got some more information about the matter. But if he did not communicate, he would not get the matter cleared up. I recently had a situation in our church where somebody wrote the leadership an email that was so combative, so I'm an outrage. I mean, the rage in this email was just insane. I've never received an email like that before. And the thing is, is that the offense wasn't even real. And this person is fuming. I lost sleep over it because I care about you and I care about our church. So I, 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 I talked to the leadership and said, what do I do about this? Should I call the brother at work? Should I show up at work? Should I? You don't want to respond to an email like that. Please. Email is a horrid form of communication to communicate anger and offense. Don't do it over email. Be bold. Be honest. Have some courage. Pick up the telephone or go have a cup of coffee with the person. Don't do it over email. So I called the brother and he was saying, well, I'm just doing what you said in your sermon and speaking the truth. And remember the sermon where I showed the wrecking ball wrecking into the, uh, to the house and destroying the house a few weeks ago? I was teaching about how to speak the truth in love and how not to judge one another. I said, your email was the email form of that video of the wrecking ball. I said, man, you, you were trying to speak truth to us. But you, I mean, we could have been so offended by your email, but we chose not to be offended. We chose to come back in gentleness and to give some information you may not have. And uh, he didn't have information. And, of course, it was like, wow, I didn't know that. That's right. And so we need to be careful that we are doing what, I mean, if a donkey and an ogre can do it, we can do it. This is my point. We need to communicate with one another. And if there truly is an offense, we need to move into forgiveness. And here's the truth, family of God. You can forgive. Now, I know it's hard. Believe you me. I mean, I'm everybody's ex-pastor, ex-husband, ex-boyfriend, ex-male authority figure that hurts somebody. I mean, I used to, when I was a younger pastor, I used to think, my God, I'm offending everybody. What have I done wrong? How, how did I get you mad so fast? It was so irrational as I pastored more. I learned, oh, I'm him to you. Because I couldn't ever offend anybody. I couldn't understand it because I'm so wonderful. I did, it was irrational. I didn't understand what was going on. 
No, but the amount of people I was offending was irrational. And so then I realized that it's, it's the perception of things. But I am offended on a pretty consistent basis. And I know that I offend others and you offend others. And so a forgiving, I know how dang hard it is. But here's the truth. And you say, I can't forgive. That's not true. You won't forgive. That's the truth. Because Jesus will not command you to do something that he knows you don't have the power to do. That's truly abusive. And in that parable, he said, just like a servant is commanded to go out and plow the field and come in and then serve me dinner, I command you to forgive your brother and your sister. And then he said, increase my faith. Now, let me teach on this just for a moment. And we're going to get down to uh, the, impart, the, practice, the application of this. We're going to receive communion. And I believe some hearts are really going to be healed for you today. And I think you're going to experience your spiritual life coming back to life again. And maybe some relationships being healed. At least it'll be a start. Um, Jesus' answer. When he said, increase our faith. Jesus said, if you had faith, like a mustard seed. Now, please, let me say this. I, I get so frustrated when I hear the teachings about the size of the seed. And I, I don't usually speak like this because it makes me sound like I know and nobody else does. And I feel su- I'm superior in my theological knowledge. Just in this one particular teaching of Jesus that you see him teach on a consistent basis. I want to I I propose to you. And I want you to consider this. He's not talking about the size of the seed. Because if he's saying if you have, the, if you have a seed, the size, which he doesn't even say in the text, the size of a mustard seed, you can move this mountain into the sea, then that must mean they have no faith at all. And yet they've already raised the dead. They've already healed the sick. They've already left all to follow him. They obviously have some measure of faith. So when he talks about if you had faith like a seed, he's talking about the nature of a seed, not the size of the seed, except that even if your seed was the size of a mustard seed, a mustard seed, when it's planted and cultivated right, it grows into a huge tree. That's what he's talking about is having faith like you would have a seed that you plant the seed into your heart, which is what Jesus teaches is the seed is the word of God. It's obeying God and you plant that into your heart. And then if you protect your heart, that seed will grow until you have a crop of faith large enough to even move a mountain, pluck up a mulberry tree or forgive your brother seven times in a day. He's talking about the nature of faith. He's not talking about the size of the faith. Did that make sense to you? Did you understand that? Because otherwise, how, we, we just think we are total failures as Christians. I don't even have faith the size of a mustard seed. That's what we think. Right? If he's talking about the size. Because I, I haven't moved a physical mountain recently, so my faith must be really, really dinky. He's talking about the nature. To destroy a field, you read this in the Old Testament, what they would do when they take over a town to destroy the field, they would... Pummel the field with rocks so nothing can grow. That's called the stony ground. Jesus talks about the heart like a stony ground. And the offenses and unforgiveness that you have in your heart toward people, those are rocks in the soil of your heart, and that's why you're having trouble spiritually. And in fact, many prayers aren't answered because God says, if you don't forgive, I don't forgive you. That's not bad poetry. That's not dark poetry. That's a fact. And Jesus says this whole teaching in Matthew 18, which I don't have time to unwrap today, but he talks about how if you had a revelation that you have been, for, been forgiven about a four, $4.5 billion debt from heaven because of your sin, when you have your hand around the throat of your brother or sister or mother or father, whoever it is that owes you $4,000 is the comparison, $4.5 billion to $4,000, you realize you've been forgiven this much and yet you won't let this person go for that much, 
That is a miscarriage of justice in heaven's courts. That's injustice from heaven's perspective, and heaven shuts down. You're praying for resources from heaven while you have your hand around your brother's neck, and heaven knows how much you've been forgiven for your offense against God, which we lack a revelation of. That's why we won't forgive, because we really think what they did to us is a lot worse than what I've ever done to God. And that's just a lack of reality. As one person came to our church once and said, well, I don't think sin's a big deal because the word just means missing the mark like an archer. And I said, oh, wow, you got to tell Jesus that. Could you see what happened to him on the cross for your sin? Maybe, maybe, maybe he overplayed his hand. Maybe it was overkill. I think sin in heaven's eyes is as detrimental as the measure of Jesus' suffering. And he did that for you and for me. So that's why Jesus is saying you can't get around it. If you will not forgive your brother or your sister or your mother or your father or your ex-husband or your ex-pastor or your present pastor or whoever it might be, your heart will begin to be tormented. You'll lose spiritual perception. Your, your heart will go hard and you'll find the word of God not being alive like it used to be. It's not like all or nothing, but you're going to find yourself having struggles in your present relationships and in your faith uh, for God's will for your life. So it feels like you can't obey. Even Peter felt that way. That's why he said increase our faith. So here's some reasons why people don't forgive. They don't want to release the offender from the penalty of their crime. You owe me. And that's what forgiveness means. It means to cancel a debt. They do owe you. But as I just said, we owe heaven a lot more than anybody's ever owed you or me. As painful as it is, it doesn't compare to our sin against heaven. And so we need to release people from their debt. And let me tell you what happens. And I have so many stories, I just don't have time today. When you release a person from their debt, they're now in the hands of God. And God will bring justice. Maybe not in your time. Sometimes it's immediate. But God then, when you get off the judgment seat and let God be on the judgment seat, then God judges justly and fairly. And your heart gets to be set free from the offense and the bitterness and resentment. God can handle the offense and he can take care of it. Secondly, they don't realize how much they've been forgiven by God for their sins. Thirdly, they don't realize the only person in prison is you. When Jesus said you're given to the torturers, that word means agony of body and mind. And fourth, you don't realize that unforgiveness is a sin. Even though you have a right to be hurt, even though you feel like I have a right to be angry, that's unforgiveness, and unforgiveness is a sin. And listen. In closing today, I want to talk about the compassion of Jesus on you. Because just like you have been hurt and offended and you don't want to release the offender from the crime, look at Jesus. Look at the ample opportunities. Jesus Christ, your leader, your guide, your captain, the one you're following, look at the ample opportunities he had to get offended. He was called an illegitimate child because he was born out of wedlock. He was branded a liar and a deceiver of the people. He was accused of being demon-possessed. Some of you, maybe, maybe your spouse has accused you of that. Uh, Jesus can identify with you. <laughs> Had false witnesses rise up against him in court. 
was abandoned by all of his friends, betrayed by one of them with a kiss, was spit on physically, stole from. Jesus would steal money from the offering. He was used. I mean, he would he, he healed nine lepers, ten lepers. Only one came back to say thank you. People just sucking from him all the time, getting from Jesus what they can get. I like what Mark says, we marry God for his money. I mean, how many of us really just want to be alone with God and not ask him for anything? Very few. We're always wanting something from him. Just like a parent can feel from a child. Own, his own family did not believe in him. That hurts. The same people telling him how great he was one day crucified him the next. But here's the biggie. He forgave them and us while he was hanging on the cross, being spit on and mocked. And as he's being persecuted and lied about and mocked, he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. We might forgive if the person comes crawling on grass and uh, uh, glass. Can't be grass. It's got to be glass. And begging our forgiveness. I feel so bad for what I did to you. It kind of helps, doesn't it? Like a big time. Jesus did it in the middle of being offended, Jesus forgives them without even being asked for forgiveness. You and I need to do the same thing. For our own sakes, for our own hearts, we need to fight against an offended heart, I believe, above any other thing in our lives. Because it happens so often. Keep your heart free from offense. Lest Satan lead you down a dark path and it grows bitter. And the Bible says that a person has a bitter heart, defiles themselves, and it springs up and defiles many. Where you get angry and bitter and you start talking about the leadership of the church, you start talking about Sister Doodad, you start talking about Brother Bucketmouth, you start talking about, and all of a sudden, yeah, you know what, I thought the same thing. Satan jumps in that, puts thoughts in your minds, and all of a sudden you have this huge air castle, which is what happened to that precious lady I ran into last week. She got into a group of about four or five women from this church, and they started bad-mouthing our church, and I knew what was going on, but what do you do about it? I mean, how do you stop that? You know, I'd met with one of them and said, hey, you guys not a, you got to stop that. And they didn't stop it, and they all ended up leaving the church. And it was over something that wasn't even true. It spreads like a cancer. If you love your church, you love your God, you love the bride of Christ, you've got to protect your own heart from this power called offense. It will affect your married life. There's a testimony. I, I bought uh, 20 copies of this book. The staff has a copy. The best book ever written on an offended heart and freedom from it by John Bevere. I have 20 copies out front for those of you who want to buy them. Same price I bought them for, $12. Uh, listen to this. One leader said, Our church was in the middle of a huge split. It looked hopeless. I gave a copy of this book to every elder. The split was diverted and we are one today. Another uh, marriage said, My marriage suffered from my anguish. Because I had become bitter and suspicious because I was offended 10 years ago by the leaders in his church. My marriage suffered because of my anguish and my husband was in the process of divorcing me. He was unsaved and wanted nothing to do with the church. Then I learned about the offended heart. I read it and within a short time was completely set free from offense and bitterness. When my husband saw the changes in my life, he surrendered his life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and stopped the divorce proceedings. The husband stood by his wife smiling and when she had finished sharing, her husband affirmed the wonderful changes in his life and home. Listen to this last testimony. A burly man, uh, middle-aged, stood up before the congregation and said, All my life I felt like there was a wall between me and God. 
I would attend meetings where everyone else sensed God's presence while I watched attached to numb. Even when I prayed, there was no release of, of God's presence. Several weeks ago, I was handed this book. I read the whole thing. I realized I had taken Satan's bait years ago. I hated my mother for abandoning me when I was six months old. I realized I had to go to her and forgive. I called her and spoke with her only for the second time in 36 years. I cried, Mom, I, held, I have held unforgiveness toward you all my life for giving me away. She began to weep. I'm offended at that ringing phone right now. I'm just, I'm just offended. Not yet. Could you guys begin uh, passing the communion out, please, for the sake of time? I have held unforgiveness. Listen to this. I cried. I cried, Mom, I've held unforgiveness toward you all my life for giving me away. She began to weep and said, Son, I have hated myself for the last 36 years for leaving. Now listen to what happened when this forgiveness took place. I forgave her. She forgave herself. And now we are reconciled. Then came the exciting part. Now the wall that separated me from God's presence is gone. At this point, he just completely lost it and wept. He struggled to get the last words out. Now I cry in the presence of God like a baby. So what to do? Three things. And then we're going to receive communion. And we're going to do this while we receive communion. Number one. So pass it out while you guys are listening. We can do two things at once. Here are three things to do today to step into this freedom from an offended heart. Number one, be honest with yourself that you are offended. Now, let me say this again. If you don't want to admit that you are offended or have been offended... That really is pride or fear that is saying, that person doesn't have that kind of power over me. I was talking to a brother just recently in this church. And I was, I was talking to him. I said, brother, you have an offended heart. And he goes, no, I'm not offended. I said, you have such anger in your heart toward people in your own church. Coming in church, worshiping God like this with seething anger in his heart. And I said, what you need to do is go to those people that you're angry with. And some of you are here in the church today. I know the situation. You don't even know about it because the brother's offended and he's not even talking to you. You need to go to them and say, I'm really angry at you and this is why. And then it's your opportunity not to get defensive and prideful, but to be humble. And if it's true, repent and say, I'm sorry. I should not have done that. Just own it. If it's not true, say, you know what? Let me tell you what really happened. Give the brother some more information. It's about reconciliation. It's about unity. It's about treating the body of Christ right. In fact, I taught this a couple of weeks ago when we were taking communion. And that is when Jesus said you take the body of Christ, the, the bread and the wine, un, unworthily. He's talking about when you have unforgiveness toward the body of Christ. You're not discerning the body of Christ right. And you, Jesus commands us to forgive. We confess his lordship. We drink his blood. And we are unforgiving toward our brother and sister. He said that's why some of you are weak, sick, and some of you have died because of the hypocrisy in your heart. So one, be honest with yourself. Number two, forgive from your heart. Did you see in that, did you see in that film where Shrek said, I'm sorry. Kind of like my kids say, say you're sorry. I'm sorry. Right. It's like, oh, that was from the heart. And then he just breathed deep and said, I'm sorry. And he truly did it from the heart. Jesus said, you need to forgive from your heart. And thirdly, pray for them. 
Now, sometimes I'd rather eat a bowl of gravel than pray for people I'm angry at. But Jesus says, pray for your enemies even. And listen to this. God turned Job's captivity when he prayed for his friends. You ready for this scripture? After Job had prayed for his friends, his friends, yeah, friends, right? Remember the bars of a castle? His friends accusing him of sinning against God, which is why he was being tortured. After Job prayed for his friends, the Lord made him prosperous again and gave him twice as much as he had. I pray that is your and my story after today. That you and I will be honest with ourselves. I've been hurt. I've been offended. Secondly, that we from the heart release them of the debt. And then heaven will release you of your debt of unforgiveness. In that moment, it can happen right now. Then pray for the person. And we're going to take that step. Pray for the person. And the Bible says when Job prayed for his friends, God prospered him. Come on, let's come together before Jesus. Jesus, we lift up your body and your blood right now before you. And we are not going to be hypocritical believers where we say, we love you, but we hate our brothers. Now, right now, from your heart, think of the person that you're angry with. You've been trespassed. They've trespassed against you. Something they did not give to you that they were supposed to, like love, affection, affirmation, or monetary situation, or something they did to you. Just, just let, let, let them come up. They're in there anyway. They're in the cage of your heart. Let them out. And now release them of their debt. You could even say it off your lips. I forgive you and I release you of the debt. Would you just say that? Have the person. I release you from the debt that you owe me. And tell God, say, I give them to you right now. I give them into your hands. Look, you may even be wrong about the offense. You've been all wrapped around the axle. You're all anxious, can't sleep. And maybe the offense isn't even real. Real or perceived, give it away to God. See, I release that person right now. Or maybe that crowd of people. I release them from my heart. And now take the bold step and obey Jesus and begin to pray for him right now. And listen, pray for them what you want for yourself. Don't pray a pitiful prayer. Pray what you want heaven doing in your life. Pray it over their life. That's how it works. Begin to pray now for the favor of God on them, the blessings of the Lord. I'm going to wait while you do this. Begin to pray for them. Now, Jesus, we take this bread that represents your body. And it was the price for our sins against you. And as we forgive our brothers and sisters, we receive forgiveness from you and we eat your body together.